0: Welcome to a session on hope and help for the Anxious anxious Christian. And we're getting some more chairs so that those of you in the back do not have to stand. My name is Dee Dee Meyer, and this is Sharon Hargrave. And uh, Sharon is the past Executive Director of the Boone Center for the Family and the founder of the Relate Strong model. How many in this room are familiar with Relate Strong? Okay, a good number of you. And how many of you have heard a presentation on the pain and the peace cycle? Okay, so a good number of you. For those that don't know about the pain and the peace cycle, I'm going to tell you a little bit right now. So anybody in this room have pain that they've experienced in their life at one point or another? (laughs) Me too turns out that we all as human beings share a common narrative of pain. That pain in our world is a part of being in a broken world. And without our intentions, sometimes our pain can guide the way that we interact with one another. It can guide the way I make decisions for myself. Anyone experience that? in their lives. And then let me ask the questions. When we make decisions out of our pain, how does that tend to go for
1: us?
0: (laughs) And what tends to happen in relationships when we react in our pain? It goes poorly. We do damage, not only to ourselves, but we do damage to other people. And so the Relate Strong model is, it's a model to help us understand the places where we've experienced pain in our lives, the control it's had because we're different. It'd be so easy if all of us could say, I have this pain, I act this way, everybody does it, now we know, but we all bring our own stories of pain. We have unique experiences and unique personalities that cause different things that make us activated, or the word a lot of people like to use today is trigger. We all have different triggers but we don't have to be. As children of God, we have an opportunity to learn a different way to respond. And it turns out that when we can name the pains that drive our behaviors or our coping, that we can actually, through the filter of truth, make decisions that promote peace and connection. Our pain's either gonna connect us as a bunch of people trying to navigate a broken world, figuring it out together, and it binds us in ways that only the body of Christ can be bound, or it will cause us to be disconnected. And so you're joining an opportunity to get to experience some of the materials that we are putting together to support churches in navigating the issues that cause pain in the world around us. And I'm imagining that some of the people in this room have been touched by anxiety. Anybody in this room experience through yourself or someone else anxiety? What are some of the re- reasons? Just throw out some of the reasons why you came to this particular session. What was interesting about this session to you? Just throw it out. Yeah. What? Having tools.
2: Having tools. Just
0: knowing so many people that like,
2: Knowing.
0: S- yeah. Yeah. And knowing how to do this in a church environment. Um, I worked in a school environment where... Uh, a lot of pastors aren't trained in seminary on how to have an answer to what happens inside of a person when anxiety hits, or how to differentiate the difference between when anxiety's disordered and when I'm experiencing a strong reaction to a feeling, right? Anxiety's what I do, it's not who I am, right? So how can we begin to engage and look at, what are some things we can do and say? And so you're going to get to experience a little bit of our resource and some questions and answers, and we're going to give you some information um, on anxiety today. These workbooks are designed for you to use along and take notes. And uh, Sharon, can I pray for us as we get started? So Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to talk about real things that impact our real lives and impact our ability to relate with one another in meaningful ways and ways that draw us to become more and more like the body of Christ that you've called us to be. Um, We're we're safe to be vulnerable and talk about these things. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask your hand upon everyone in this room that they would leave with tools and skills and strategies. And we ask this in your precious name. Before, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. You have a big, white page, and if you don't, if you could just take a piece of paper, I want you to draw in just a little space your experience of anxiety. Either in someone else, just draw uh, just a representation. It could be a line, but I want you to put that down. What does that feel like? When you think of anxiety, what does that bring up, and what might that look like? If you were to try to represent it, with just a one.
2: So,
3: so we can't bring any more chairs in because it's a fire hazard. (laughs) So I want to encourage anybody that can feel comfortable on the floor, feel comfortable to come up here. For those of you that are in the back, you might feel like you can sit on the floor better um just make yourself at home on the floor sorry guys we're so thankful that you're here and i just i just want to encourage people to move around the room to get to a comfortable (coughs) place as much as you possibly can while you're drawing what
1: Uh, they have gone to get more
3: books we've gone to get more books so we should have those It's amazing to see you all here. Thank you, because it's so beautiful outside. I was tempted to not come myself. (laughs) So really, really thankful to have you here. Um, So draw your picture of anxiety. Think about what it looks like. Right before coming into this session, uh, (coughs) we met a pastor, Pastor Roy. Some of you maybe have met from India. And Pastor Roy was telling us that his father was murdered because he was a Christian. And he was also telling us that he is now going back home to minister to the area where his father was killed.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: And I said to Dee Dee, I said, wow, that's pretty sobering as we walk into a session on anxiety. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. The rate of anxiety in America today is off the charts. You all know it? I know it. Some of us feel it. Some of us have spouses or children that feel it. And it's not always because we're going back home to minister to a people where our father was murdered. It's getting out of control. Church has had trouble dealing with this over the years, right? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, give thanks to God. But what if that doesn't work for me? What if I pray that prayer and I still feel anxious? I can't go tell my pastor that I'm anxious because my pastor's going to think there's something wrong with me. If I am a pastor, I sure can't tell other people that I'm anxious because (laughs) Philippians tells me I'm not supposed to be anxious. Good Christians aren't anxious, right? So the church has gone silent in some places. And what we want to do by this material that we've created, what we want to do is we want to normalize anxiety so we can do something about it. Because we can. Philippians 4 has a lot to teach us about anxiety, (laughs) but taken out of context, it's caused a lot of people to hide their anxiety, right? So we wanna open it up. This series is designed so you can have a two Saturday session At your church if you want to do it on Saturday morning or Wednesday night or wherever it works where you can have discussions about anxiety so we can start to talk about anxiety as a community. (coughs) So basically I'm going to be your discussion group leader and we're going to have some we're going to show you the videos we're going to have the discussion we're going to show you the second video we're going to have the other discussion and our hope is is that you can take this back to your congregation, to the people you minister with, to your women's group, and say, you know what, there's a lot of people that are anxious out there, and we got to learn how to talk about it with each other. And we're so excited to have this opportunity to share this with you. Now there's one thing I just wanna say as I talk about anxiety, this idea of anxiety, I wanna clarify something. I wanna clarify the difference between fear and between anxiety. Uh, Those of you that know me know that in the last uh, two years I've moved to Sedona, Arizona. Is anybody feeling sorry for me? (laughs) It is the most beautiful place in the world, I think. From Sedona to Flagstaff, Arizona is this windy road. It's up through Oak Creek Canyon and it's absolutely gorgeous, especially in the fall. But Arizonans are a lot like a lot of people these days and they don't always feel like following rules are what we should do. <laughs> Laws are not for everybody, right? And I had been known to be driving up this windy road in Arizona to watch a car pull out behind another car and cross a double yellow line to get around that car so they can drive faster. Right? So, let's talk about fear. Fear is driving up the windy road in Oak Creek Canyon and being in my lane and turning around a corner and having a car come straight for me. That's an actual reason to be afraid, right? My brain's going to go, danger, 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 you know, fight or flight. What do I do? Do I swerve? Do I what? If my brain is going to automatically move to take care of that for me. Now, if I've, if I've had that experience driving up the road in Oak Creek Canyon, and the next time I decide to drive up the road in Oak Creek Canyon, I begin to feel a little nervous, that would be normal. Right? If I begin to drive up that road, and every time I drive up the road, all I can think about is a car coming at me, That is moving into what we would call anxiety, because I'm starting to ruminate on this thing happening that may very well happen, okay? If I can't drive up that road anymore, that steps over into an anxiety disorder, because it's changing the way I do my life. So as you listen to this first segment, this first part of the video that's done by uh, Dr. Meyer here and a good friend of ours, Megan Eakin, I want you to begin to think about, we're talking about the difference between fear and anxiety, between normally something that might make you feel a little anxious, and then between what would be a totally disabling anxiety disorder. So first segment. Thanks, Marzia.
0: largest ever study for the connected generation. The data shows that almost half of US 18 to 35 year olds, that's 49%, expressed anxiety over important decisions and were afraid to fail. 39% shared they often felt sad or depressed and this doesn't change for those who attend the church. It is essential for the church to be prepared to offer meaningful solutions for those that are struggling with anxiety or depression. The Relate Strong program is designed to help churches and ministries better navigate these issues. Based on sound biblical theology and the best of current psychology, the foundational concepts provide a framework to teach participants how to move from a place of pain to a place of peace. Today, we're addressing the topic of anxiety I get to sit down with my friend and colleague, Megan Eakin. Megan is a longtime friend of the Boone Center for the Family and has worked as both a consultant and a past Relate Strong director. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist with over a decade of experience. Megan's therapy practice has helped women and men decrease their daily anxiety at work and in their relationships. As an executive coach, Megan focuses on helping leaders at any level tap into their best selves through <coughs> emotional regulation. Anxiety is a word that has become so much more common in the world around us. When someone shares they're struggling with anxiety, I wonder what comes to mind for you. As Christians, we can have a variety of reactions. One thought you might have is I wasn't trained for this and I don't know how to help. As ministry leaders, we can often be put in difficult situations that we feel ill-equipped to handle and the reality is you're right. Many times there is a lack of training on how to understand mental health issues within a context of faith. Another thought you might have is that in today's world, everyone is suffering from anxiety. This is blown out of proportion. I don't know how to tell the difference from someone who's feeling unsettled and someone who's having a real mental health concern. This tension can lead us to a variety of responses. On one side, we feel the pressure to offer solutions and answers, and on the other side of the spectrum, we can say this isn't an issue for the church. It's an issue for mental health professionals. Wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, we're so glad you're here.
4: And we know that a growing number of pastors and ministry leaders are sharing their own personal struggles with anxiety and other mental health issues. The stresses of ministry have increased a lot over the last few years, so you might be wondering how to care for yourself. Dee, Dee and I have spent a lot of time as licensed clinicians working with Christians who are battling anxiety and with <coughs> faith leaders who are trying to support their communities amidst this growing mental health crisis. We believe this growing crisis in mental health makes understanding issues like anxiety a priority for the church.
0: Yeah, in this series, Megan and I want to provide you information and equip you with some new perspectives and practical tools that can support your journey as leaders to better address issues of anxiety in your own life and with others that you lead and serve.
4: Because we know, in general, anxiety is on the rise. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health condition in the United States. More than 31% of people in the United States will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their life. From 2013 to 2021, we've seen a 110% increase in reports of anxiety among college students. Now, there's not one cause for this increase, But there are some unsurprising factors that contribute. Technology, within technology, social media, decrease in social connections. We're seeing that a lot more with the work from home culture. And poor sleep. Now, anxiety can show up in a disruptive to destructive way at any point in someone's life. We're seeing increases in anxiety with children and adolescents, but it can surface for the first time at any point across the lifespan. So, no age group here is immune.
0: And so, as you look out over your congregation, your staff, your ministry, know that a significant number of them, and the Barna group estimates that this number is about 54%, whether they're sharing about it or not, whether they recognize it in themselves or not, they're struggling with some level of anxiety. And we believe faith leaders are in a unique position with this population, not with the pressure to fix them, but to engage them in this struggle with the spirit of love and truth.
4: Let's get clear on what we mean when we say anxiety. That word can mean a lot of different things to different people. To understand anxiety, we have to start with your brain. This organ is always looking out for your protection. One of its chief goals is to keep you safe, And And when there are moments that you're not safe, like a car suddenly swerving into your lane of traffic, your brain will sound an alarm, so to speak, letting you know that you're not safe and that you need to do something about that. This part of the brain, the amygdala, is an acute and helpful alarm system protecting us from harm. And, this is the important part, when the threat's over, this alarm subsides, goes away your nervous system returns back to baseline. Anxiety is what manifests in a person when that alarm system is on overdrive. It's extending into many parts of a person's life. Anxiety is a collection of coping reactions to manage that chronic alarm. When someone says, I have anxiety, or I'm an anxious person, now they could be talking about a few different parts of themselves when they say that. Anxiety can actually show up in three main categories, the mind, the behavior, and the body. And first, let's talk about the
0: mind. Anxious people
4: spend a lot of
0: time in their minds trying hard to make whatever is uncertain more certain, even if what they are creating in their mind is a bad outcome. One example could be when your kid is late coming home and isn't texting you back. Anxiety might have you play out your kid's car crash because that worst case scenario thinking creates an odd sense of certainty that somehow feels better than just not knowing. You can see from this list other types of thinking. We can have obsessive thoughts. We can jump to conclusions. We often call this mind reading, trying to figure out what a person is thinking. And we can ruminate by getting stuck on a thought. This often, often happens in the middle of the night when the mind just gets going. Anxiety easily sets up shop here in the mind, but it doesn't just stay here.
4: Yeah, anxiety shows up in our behavior too. Actions like perfectionism, people-pleasing, over-functioning, performing. There are also more passive actions like procrastination, distraction, avoidance, disengaging. Addictions falls in this category or just consistently deferring to others and let other people do the work in today's world We often distract ourselves using technology and not surprising all the research tells us that this is a negative influence on our mental health Now all of these types of behaviors active or passive are used to both prevent anxiety Also cope with anxiety if the anxiety is already present and this list is not exhaustive
0: yeah, and lastly, anxiety shows up in the body. This could look like chest tightness, shallow breathing, get our gut or digestive issues, our heart can race, sleeplessness, panic attacks. This helps us to understand why so many people discover their anxiety for the first time in the emergency room. These physiological symptoms that you're seeing listed here are a sign that the body is in fight or flight mode. The brain's automatically turned on, And the sympathetic nervous system is shutting down systems like digestion and boosting other systems like muscle strength. For people with anxiety, these physical symptoms often show up when there's a perceived or anticipated threat, like my coworkers don't like me or my kids aren't home yet. And these symptoms can range from subtle to incredibly intense. I've had a friend who was sure they were dying of an undiagnosed illness, because they were convinced that their physical symptoms were just too bad to be anxiety.
4: Yeah, people can experience these symptoms in any and all of these categories, mind, behavior, body, and they can often be happening simultaneously. It's important to remember too that these symptoms are happening automatically for the anxious person, and the more the alarm is not listened to, the more the symptoms are gonna increase. Now, how severe and how often these symptoms occur shows the difference between everyday anxiety and an anxiety disorder. And you can see in this graph here, notice the shift in breadth and intensity of symptoms as you look at everyday anxiety over to the disorder symptoms. The right column is when we start to see anxiety take substantial control on someone. And it affects a person's ability to function in their everyday life. Things like looking after themselves, holding down a job, forming and maintaining relationships, trying new things, things like that.
0: And once we're in the realm of our anxiety disorders, we have to mention depression. Anxiety and depression can be And as you can see in this image, both of these conditions can struggle with symptoms like restlessness, excessive worry, and agitation. Depression is its own important topic, but I want to at least note that these two conditions often run together. Nearly half of people diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with an anxiety disorder.
4: As we begin to think about how to help someone who's experiencing anxiety, the first thing that we have to know is anxiety is never the end of the story. It is never the core problem, it's a symptom. Think of anxiety like a check engine light in a car telling you something under the hood needs attention. This is where many of us miss the entry point. We focus all our energy on just getting rid of the anxiety, or in contrast, radically accepting the anxiety like it's a personality trait. We don't ignore the check engine light, but we also don't show up to our mechanic and say, hey, I have a problem with this light being on, can you just shut that off? We'll talk in this video and in the next one about what it looks like to go beyond the check engine light because the good news is anxiety at any level is treatable if you know where to look. And anxiety at any level is something we believe you, faith leaders, (coughs) can be empowered to come alongside. As we've
0: mentioned, ministry leaders haven't been trained often to see or address issues of anxiety or other mental health issues through a lens of faith. The Word of God is an incredibly helpful tool and offers powerful support for those struggling with anxiety. As Christians, helping people find hope in the biblical narrative is powerful because it normalizes anxiety as a part of our human experience and makes us feel less alone in our pain and struggle. It also provides powerful and helpful tools we can use to reset our thinking when we become anxious or overwhelmed. This is a place where we as church leaders can offer powerful and unique support to members of our congregation. As leaders, we can find ourselves navigating between two sides of a spectrum. We can hyper-spiritualize by throwing out scriptures that call us to not be anxious, or communicate simple phrases that call us to just have more faith. And on the other side, we can hyper-normalize anxiety, and fail to recognize the debilitating impact that anxiety can have on daily life. Either of these responses can give a message that the church isn't a safe place and that Jesus may not have an answer for the pain of anxiety. So let's look at some ways we can balance our response as faith leaders and how we might use the story of scripture to support those that are struggling. We can see anxiety and the results of anxiety all throughout the biblical narrative and even within the stories of the heroes of our faith. Abraham's not always faithful, and he lets fear get the best of him when he goes to Egypt to avoid the (coughs) famine. Barak refuses to go to battle without Deborah. Gideon seeks multiple signs from God. And even when Jesus comes onto the scene in the New Testament, he tells his disciples in John 16, that in this world, we will have trouble. And that encourages him by saying, take heart, I've overcome the world. I wanna call a couple of important points to your attention. Jesus' presence doesn't immediately remove anxiety. In Luke 7, 19, John the Baptist, when he's in prison, sends people to ask Jesus if he really is the Messiah. Peter, as he's walking on water, which is an act of great faith, his eyes still are drawn to the waves, the potential danger and uncertainty, rather than keeping his eyes on Jesus, who is right in front of him. As human beings, we're naturally drawn to notice danger, and danger can remain the object of our focus. We, as church leaders, can support people struggling with anxiety by helping to change the object of their focus.
4: Dee Dee mentioned Philippians 4, 6-8 and how this verse can be commonly used in the church as a response to anxiety. I have heard this verse used to reduce anxiety to sin, with the answer simply being, if you trust God, you won't struggle with anxiety. I've heard this in sermons. I've heard this preached to me by my anxious Christian clients in my own therapy practice these same clients express feelings of shame and inadequacy believing that they are failing in faith because of their anxiety which inevitably is going to lead to more anxiety for them and without (coughs) doing it we can push people away from faith when we take this approach leaving them to feel unsafe to share their real struggles in the faith community and subsequently this makes church a place where we need to perform and anxious people really know how to perform, rather than a place that we can honestly just show up with our real life obstacles together so that we can grow in maturity with one another.
0: As church leaders, it's helpful to recognize the pressure we can feel to always have the right answer and offer solutions that bring quick relief. We're hoping that this information is helping you to release yourself from this responsibility to fix the problem and instead to walk alongside members of the community, affirming that life can be hard. The world is sometimes not a safe place. Bad things do indeed happen to good people, but as believers, we have God and we have one another. We have God's word that shares stories of real people who face real challenges, and we can look to their stories to find meaningful strategies that can help us to endure through the hard things. This can be a helpful lens for supporting those that suffer from
4: anxiety. So let's look at that passage in Philippians again. Instead of seeing this passage as a label for anxiety, a sin, or just a quick fix, see if you can hear Paul's offering as a process to build muscle, to navigate anxiety in a healthy way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, (coughs) present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we are anxious, which at times we will be, we are not without spiritual recourse. We can take actions and we can help others take actions, like go to the Lord and lay out your requests with honesty and transparency. We can train our eyes to recognize things that we're truly grateful for in the midst of the struggles that we're in and looking further to verse 8 we can find what is true and we can practice thinking about that truth as a leader you can do these actions with people in the moment let's lay out your requests together let's look at truths about you and God together don't send them off with the verse do it with them in the room
0: The Psalms provide a similar structure and process for us to follow and can be a really helpful place to go for those that struggle with anxiety. The Psalms acknowledge the presence of emotion without diminishing its effects on our lives. But then they call us to remember the character and nature of God, to look to what we believe about who God is and what he's promised us, and to remember in our own lives places where God has been faithful and we have overcome difficulties. Reading the Psalms can help us all remember that we're not alone in our struggle with anxiety, that we can begin to build habits and practices that help us overcome moments of distress. All of these can become tools in our toolbox when the alarm of anxiety sounds in our body, our behavior, and our minds. As church leaders, we're often the first stop for those struggling in our communities with anxiety. So in our next video, we want to provide you with some practical tools and resources that can help you better support the people in your community and life who are struggling with anxiety.
3: Rocio, that was the world's greatest timing. I've ever seen. <laughs> Does everybody have a book now? Yes. Okay, Here we've got a couple more. Um, so for those of you that were just handed a book, you maybe didn't have the privilege of following along to get the information that they um, just gave us on the video. So you might just kind of leaf through that for a second. First thing I want you to do in our discussion today is I would like for you to turn to somebody near you, and I'd like you to talk about one concept or one principle that you learned from the video that was new to you, okay? We're just going to take about four minutes. So about two minutes a person, if you could just kind of talk about something that was new. Come back together. (laughs) So if you are to take this program back to your church, You would do something like I just did. You would show this video. And then there is on page, don't have a page number, but the page where it says group discussion, it's page six. Then you just need to lead the group in group discussion like we're going to do now. Part of the goal of this Relate Strong Leadership Series for you all as church leaders is that you don't have to be the expert in the topic to lead the discussion. We're gonna let Dee Dee and Megan be the experts and then we're just gonna talk about what we learn from them. So anybody can lead this. Anybody in your church can lead this and that's why we wanna make it very accessible. You will notice we also have a high, um, we place a high degree of importance that it is psychologically strong material as well as theologically strong material. So we're working both those things. As a believer, I'm gonna tell you, and as a marriage and family therapist, I'm gonna tell you all that's happening these days is that psychologists and marriage and family therapists and people that work with anxiety are catching up with what scripture taught us years ago. But we've gotten afraid of each other. And I want to say, I think there was reason for that years ago. I think there was reason at one point for church leaders to say, hey, this is kind of beyond me. I'm gonna send you to the professional, right? I think there was reason for that at one point because some of the knowledge that we've learned through psychology is important. But what I think happened over the years is, then we made the division that Dee, Dee talked about that said the mental health professionals will deal with mental health issues and the church leaders will deal with spiritual issues. And I wanna tell you, we're so much better when we do it together. Because if I'm somebody's marriage and family therapist and I know, for instance, that loneliness is a problem, how many people read the study on loneliness this week, put out by the American Medical Association? Is that who it was put out by? <clears throat> it, it is a skyrocketing problem in the United States and they're putting it right up there with, it's as dangerous as smoking and uh, uh, other healthcare issues. But all to say, if I'm a therapist and I'm working with somebody who's anxious and I can connect them to a church, we can heal so much faster because as a marriage and family therapist, I cannot provide community. But when the, the community of the church can trust their marriage and family therapist or their counselor, then we can work together. So this material is designed for anybody to talk about both the theological and the psychological material that we know. So... Question one in the discussion is what is your reaction these days when you hear someone in your community is anxious or suffering from anxiety? Help me out here, guys. What are some of the things that y'all would say? Me too. Yeah, good for you. That's a great answer. What else?
5: I I tend to affirm them because it's a good thing that they're voicing this and seeking help.
3: Okay. So it's it's good to affirm and say, okay, we can do some help. What are you feeling in your gut? What's going on inside of you when you hear people talk about that as they come to you in your church?
5: I'm afraid a little because I think I struggle with that myself I don't have all the answers. I feel like they want me to have some.
3: Boy, I appreciate your vulnerability. You know, I deal with that too. How can I help somebody else deal with this if I don't have a handle on it myself? So when somebody comes in and starts to talk to me about anxiety, it makes me a little anxious. Because I don't feel like I know how to deal with it. But think about asking this question in your own community, right? What is your reaction then days when somebody in our community starts talking about anxiety? you're going to begin to learn what the people that you lead and serve think about anxiety, right? What are some of the things that you think the people you lead and serve might say?
2: Just pray more.
3: Just pray more. Shake it off. Shake it off. It will pass. It will pass. That's life. That's life. It is what it is. I hate that answer by the way. My my husband uses it. Now I've at least got him to the point. He'll say, Well, it is what it is, and then he'll say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. (laughs) So you begin to learn, see, about what your community's thinking about anxiety. Where have you seen increases in your communities in anxiety?
4: Women. Young girls.
3: Young women. Uh, do you want to talk about why? Can we talk about why that young women are... When I hear people
2: say all the time it's because of Facebook and social media and Instagram. I don't know if that's totally it, but they compare themselves
3: on Yeah, there's this comparison going on in social media for our young women. And in the context of while our young women are comparing themselves with everybody else, they don't have relationships with them. They're sitting in their bedroom looking at pictures of other people on Facebook and social media without having any friend-to-friend reactions. Um, so especially, oh, especially in our youth, we're seeing such a raise in anxiety. Where else? Yeah, Young look. men also. That's yes, funny. young men also as well. And Sheila, what would you say about that? You
2: know, I think they're very difficult and anxious about the world Yeah.
1: It's a little.
3: It's And am I going to be good enough Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's been a there's been a mail bashing going on in our society for years, and if you haven't picked up on it, <laughs> I'm sure you have. Oh, I mean, TV show after TV show. What is it? What? What about Raymond? What's Everybody loves Raymond. Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond, or or just commercials. I my heart grieves honestly, when I see how men are portrayed a lot in our uh, social media. Also, I gotta say, we women can be kinda critical sometimes. And there's a lot even in churches about how men need to be different and men need to be better and men need to be something other than what they are. And I think you're right, Sheila, that young group of men is growing up going, I don't know what the expectation is here of what I'm supposed to be, but I can't beat it. Um, and then we've got all <laughs> our young people graduating from college that don't have jobs uh, because of employment situations and everything like that. So young men and young women, yes.
2: I'm just gonna, I was going to say the same thing. I have a son. Just the world for him, trying to raise his daughters in this world and make enough money for them to survive. And
3: yeah, it's 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 tough. And I, you know, I just want to say to you, older men in the room that are here, uh, you voicing that you too have anxious thoughts sometimes can be so powerful to these young men who think everybody else has it together. Yeah. Um,
6: Single parent homes. Or single, parents. Mm-hmm.
3: single parent yeah. homes. Yeah. How do people raise children in a single parent home? All the the things. Well, tell me a little. Why, why is there anxiety in those situations? I, I took off too fast. Sorry. This is this
6: yeah. Um, but it, it's trying to balance what we had them single in the first place with having to raise this child. Um, and it goes both ways. It's a mother trying to explain why the father not coming around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, she now sometimes is even seen as, as the enemy. Yeah, she had to deal with that with one of her family. You know, she was blamed for the, the split. Yeah. You know, um, and so she has to manage the child looking at her as the enemy, the person, the, the husband leaving. And then where is God in all of this? Yeah. Do you, you, you mm-hmm. surely know why would God allow all of this? Yeah. Um, and then the the, reverse, the the man not understanding how exactly he was supp- how he's supposed to raise his mm-hmm. family. Yeah. Especially you know that at least in a community that tends to see parenting as mother first, and then the husband just fills in wherever he wants. Yeah. And so for the for the father it's like, well, how do I be uh a, a mother and a father here? Yeah. And then where is the support? Because I mean, what well, China saw so A lot of parenting literature yeah. tends to be more woman focused than me. Yeah.
2: And yeah, yeah.
6: So a lot of actually a lot more of single fathers you yeah. find that the anxiety is are trying to manage all
3: Yeah, whether you're a single mother or a single father, you're you're kind of balancing all kinds of stuff. And what a great thought about how to have a ministry at our church with our single parents when they can get there because they're so busy. To your point, they have a hard time getting there. But what if we had a gathering of single parents to show them these videos on anxiety? How powerful that would be. Yeah.
2: Aging
3: and technology. Oh yeah. Mm
2: (laughs) <laughs> As
3: spoken from experience. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so aging, aging. Uh, you know, the good news is we live a long time. The bad news is we live a long time. <laughs> and so, you know, how am I going to how am I going to make my retirement last? And how is this going to happen? And where's my social support going to be? Absolutely. Yes, there was another hand. i was
2: speaking her. to the issue of parenting single. Our Joint parenting. Yeah. In our older generations, the extended family mm-hmm. support of wisdom yeah. to impart. Yeah. And in our social society to now, yeah. today, you spoke of Everybody Loves Raymond, yeah. but tuning in to the uh, middle aged teenager who the entire storyline is the parents are dumb. Yeah. And they are to be laughed at. Yeah. And so then that is the message that they get, that the younger generation gets a mixed message mm-hmm. from their peers, yeah. not valuing the wisdom of an extended adulthood.
3: Yeah, and this is one of my biggest griefs in life right now uh, across the nation, is this whole idea that adult children are divorcing their parents um, if you haven't met somebody whose adult kids have decided they're no longer valuable you will uh, and it's kind of a move that's happening and it, it's it's very grief oriented and creates a lack of intergenerational support that is so important so all these, see guys, we could go on. We could talk about this for quite a long time. But if you're talking to your church congregation about this, you can start to hear the needs. Where are some ideas of where we could use this video where we can talk about these things? Um, the, the next section there in the group discussion there <laughs> talks about ways that you do anxiety um, is in our mind. Uh, as you look at that list there on page seven, what are some of the things that jump out at you personally about how you do anxiety in your mind? What, what would you say? Mind reading. Mind me. Oh, gosh, that's bad, isn't it? What else? Yes.
5: General sense of doom.
3: General sense of doom. No matter what happens, everything's going to go wrong, right? You can feel how you do this in your mind. One main principle we want you all to hear is This whole idea of, I am anxious, we want to help you change. I do anxiety. It's what I do. I do it in my mind, okay? I do it by always predicting gloom or something like that. Any other phrase in that section stand out to anybody? Huh? Excessive worry. Excessive worry. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. You Uh, know what? We're doing a study on anxiety and we're learning that one of the main sources of anxiety that people really have to learn how to get a handle on is rumination. Yeah. Just thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. Okay. What are some ways some of you do anxiety and behavior? What are some of those words in that list that jump out to you? Perfectionism. Perfectionism. Procrastination. Procrastination. What? People-pleasing, okay. Just begin to see, guys, these are things we have control over, right? This is really important. We don't have to be subject to anxiety. Um, How might you recognize the difference between someone struggling with everyday anxiety and somebody with an anxiety disorder? What are your thoughts? Maybe the length of
4: time that they've been anxious. Length
3: of time that they've been anxious. If it's been going on consistently for a long time, you're stepping over into an anxiety disorder. Yeah. I really
4: liked your analogy of can we drive down the road or we can't even drive down the road. Yeah. 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 Like when, is it totally changing our
3: decision? Yeah. When you get to that point that you can't get out of the house or you can't do your work or you can't, uh, you know, fix dinner for your family or whatever it is, that steps over into that idea. Um, as y'all heard Dee talk about this idea of hyper spirituality or hypernormalize. I'm just curious for my own sake. If everybody in their hand could if everybody in the room could raise their hand on a hyper spiritual or hyper-normalize where do y'all think your congregation would be? Would you be hyper-spiritual? How many would raise their hand for that? Which is, anxiety is always about your spiritual condition, that you don't pray enough or you don't trust God enough. Okay. How many would hyper-normalize it, say, oh, you'll get over it, that's okay? Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Did y'all hear what she said? She said I don't even think we talk about it enough to get, get an answer for that.
5: you have a pastor or lead minister who has been vulnerable about it,
3: yeah. I mean that just if you don't have
5: that, then I can imagine it's not discussed or not talked about. But when it's when when your lead pastor, preaching pastor has said I've bowed and deal with anxiety just that conversation happens a lot more yeah yeah yeah
3: but it's rare but you know guys there's so many ways we can start dropping it into the conversation you know every week at church sometimes it may be our habit to pray for people that are ill that have cancer you know what if you drop in there or suffering from anxiety or depression you know what if you just start using it in your language just like you pray and think about everything else that's a little way to start bringing it in. The, when a pastor comes up or when you talk about anxiety a lot, then you've got to be careful you don't hyper-normalize it so you decide not to do anything about it, right? That's what we're trying to do. Um, how many of y'all found the biblical narratives that they talked about interesting? Uh, uh, which which biblical narrative spoke to any of you? Uh, they're on the bottom. Let me find them. <laughs> they're on the bottom of page five. Did any did that stand out to anybody? Abraham.
1: Oh, Peter.
3: Abraham Peter. Isn't that nice to realize that people in Scripture had anxiety? I love that. I just think it's great. So, we've talked a little bit about anxiety. That's our first video. There's one more question, but um, I want to get to the next video and have a little bit more time. So, let's go on, uh, Mauricio, if we could play the next one.
4: So far we've talked about what anxiety is and how we can approach it in faith communities. Now we want to offer some practical tools to help you with anxiety in your life and with the people that you're serving. Now to have any hope of change here, any hope of digging out of this anxious pit, we first have to know that we're in the pit. Awareness is the most important first step towards healing because we can't change what we can't name. The pain cycle is a tool that creates powerful awareness of what's happening for the anxious person in terms of what they're feeling, what they're doing, and then the consequences of that, or the results of that. Many people will tell you they feel anxious, but within the pain cycle, it's more accurate to say that anxiety is primarily not what we feel, but what we do with feelings of pain. Anxiety, said another way, is how we cope with feelings of emotional, social, physical distress. Now becoming aware of how we do anxiety, remember in your mind, your body and your behavior is powerful. But this process of labeling anxious coping behavior has to be done non judgmentally. People struggling with anxiety are prone to shame and self judgment, especially in a Christian community, where these behaviors like worry can be seen as sin. Now jumping too quickly into labels like those are gonna shut down the process for an anxious person. You can lead this non-judgmental process for others by normalizing the behaviors. You could show someone a list of the coping behaviors and say something like, hey, here's what some people do when they're anxious. Where do you see yourself on this list?
0: When someone is safe to observe or notice themselves, almost like a scientist in a lab, they can start labeling or naming how they are doing anxiety. And all of a sudden they can see their anxiety as something separate from themselves versus just who they are. So instead of saying, I was so anxious when my kid was at home on time, you could instead say, I'm worst case scenario thinking as I'm waiting for my kid to come home. Both statements are true, but the second boosts awareness of the self and this sets us up to change.
4: Now remember, anxiety and all her coping behavior is that check engine light in the brain, pointing to a deeper feeling of pain. And there are two types of deeper pain that the brain is going to turn that check engine light on for. First, threats to our identity. And second, threats to our sense of safety. Anxiety is gonna point to one or sometimes both.
0: Identity pain is a threat to who I am. It questions my approval, my worth, my value, my belonging. So sometimes people are anxious about their identity, and their anxiety is pointing to feelings like, I don't know, I'm not valued. As a ministry leader, we can experience a good deal of criticism. personally experience this and when this happens, I can feel this identity pain feeling unworthy or not valued and Then this leads to my
4: pain cycle where I control or get perfectionistic The second type of threat your brain is <coughs> Is a sense of safety this pain isn't searching for the who I am but the how I am in the world it questions my sense of control security my ability in a given circumstance like work school relationships church so some of the people that you're encountering are anxious about their sense of safety their anxiety will point to feelings like i feel powerless i feel out of control i'm not good enough i'm incapable now this is the one that i can really relate to a number of years ago i struggled with acute anxiety for about three months I was preparing to retake a state licensing exam that I had failed by one point. So in the ramp up to take this truly beast of an exam, my pain cycle looked like this. Failing the test made me feel inadequate, and being a slow reader for a timed exam made me feel out of control. These are my safety pain messages I got about myself. And you can see how I coped. I was irritable with others, I shamed myself, I pushed off studying, and the night before the exam, my chest was tightening. All that anxious coping was my check engine light coming on from my safety pain of feeling completely inadequate and out of control. You can also see in my pain cycle how others reacted to my anxious coping and other results of my anxious coping. When my husband withdraws from me because I'm being irritable with him, I feel more out of control. So it can be helpful and powerful for the anxious person to see how they're coping. It doesn't help, and it even creates more pain. So the identity
0: or safety feelings are the fuel for anxious coping reactions. This is our core problem to solve. Answering these questions of identity and safety, who am I, am I safe, these are good questions that you faith leaders can help them uncover it is the things that impact our identity and sense of safety that fuel our anxious thinking and coping reaction the pain cycle creates awareness of our triggers and how we cope with them but we need a place to turn we need something that can take the place of our unhealthy coping and this is where the peace cycle comes in
4: the real power of the peace cycle comes from specific truths that directly answer the pain in the pain cycle. Now, general biblical truths, like God loves you, God will never leave you or forsake you, may not answer or connect to the pain that someone's in that's making them anxious. Your truths, Stevie, have to answer that pain of worthy, not value. And I need truths that speak directly to my pain of feeling inadequate and out of control. Now, once you know your identity and safety pain from your pain cycle, you're now in a position to identify the truths. And there are three main sources of truth that you can look toward. God, other trusted people in your life, and yourself. And although God is the most authoritative source of these three, you are actually the most powerful because you can veto any message of love and safety from God or other people. A lot of good work starts to happen for the anxious person when they connect to their power to choose what truths they want to claim for themselves. Now looking at my pain, feeling inadequate, feeling out of control, I have to ask myself, are those messages ultimately true about me? And the answer that I come to is, well, no, they're not completely true. I'm not completely inadequate. God has given me some gifting. I have some abilities. The truth is, I'm capable. I'm not completely out of control. I do have some power. I don't have all the power, but I do have some. And as I lead into those simple but overarching truths about myself, my anxious alarm begins to calm I felt less anxious because those truths are letting my brain know, Megan, you're okay, you're capable, you have some power here. And from those truths, my responses begin to change. I could go from being irritable to vulnerable with people. From avoiding to engaging, I started studying again. And instead of beating myself up, I chose to care for myself in this context, and then I went to therapy to process failing the test, and I advocated for more time to take the test. For pain that's connected to a lack of safety, like mine, the truth for someone is never going to be, the world is perfectly safe, you're never going to fail. Sometimes the world's unsafe, and sometimes we fail. The type of truths that help people who feel unsafe are gonna be rooted in knowing we're not alone or we're empowered to make choices.
0: And believing and living into any of these truths takes a lot of practice and faith. That's normal. It's okay if it doesn't come with all the feelings. Some days we are choosing to believe we're loved, we're safe enough, even if we may not feel that. We need to recognize and make the choice to believe the truth, especially when we're triggered. We can choose to act in response to our truth. This means that we act before feeling. Our feelings are transient. They will always follow the actions we choose. So choosing our actions in spite of our feelings is an important part of the healing process. I often call this contrary action. When we're clear on our peace cycle, we develop a toolbox of responses that we can choose to act into. So the pain cycle gives us awareness of our anxiety, what anxiety does, and the pain that it points to. And now, the peace cycle gives us truth and a choice for moving forward in freedom by changing our thought patterns or behaviors. So we wanna move to some simple ways that you can support those struggling with anxiety. And we can start by thinking about the environment we create.
4: First, we wanna create a safe environment. You can do this simply by your loving and open approach to this topic. Give yourself the freedom to be present, not expect to have all the answers. You can consider being transparent about your own struggles with anxiety if you have them. People are really looking for human leaders, not leaders who have it all together. I hear that a lot in my practice. You can also acknowledge anxiety publicly in sermons, prayer, testimonies, recognizing that people have problems with anxiety. Also, use validating language. As you can see on the chart, there are some phrases we can find ourselves using when we're
0: dealing with someone who is struggling with anxiety. So for example, Instead of saying, don't be anxious, which is not helpful, we can instead acknowledge anxiety as a real part of our human condition. We can take a posture of listening and asking questions like, how's this showing up for you? And instead of saying, have more faith or just trust Jesus more, you can help them to find scriptures that, where you can see anxiety in a biblical narrative You also might ask them what's particularly feeling overwhelming about this anxiety. You can draw them to remember difficult times in the past where they've overcome hard things and rely on those tools they've built. These responses can make the church a safe place to navigate pain and help people lean into their faith as a support through anxiety. As we build rapport, we're better able to recognize and support someone in discerning their own best steps towards healing and recovery. Next, we can create an environment of hope. We reassure those struggling with anxiety with the hope and truth that anxiety is treatable, that it's a part of life, but that it was never intended to be the master of our lives. As believers, we have a secure hope. Hebrews 6 refers to hope as an anchor that is steadfast and secure. Those that struggle with anxiety can often need to evaluate what they're placing their hope in. A hope that is dependent on me or my circumstance is far too fragile to promote endurance through life's adversity and trials. We can help one another build the muscles of awareness as we name our pain and fear and work to reorient our trust on the truth. So you can brainstorm with people what their helpful hope builders are. My grandmother used to sing, what a friend we have in Jesus when she was anxious or going through a hard time. And by doing so, she felt connected to God, not alone. You can help those people that are with you find songs, scriptures, or attributes of God, brainstorming these as faith tools that we can reach for when we're facing struggles. Remembering a hard time we've experienced in the past can also be a powerful way to identify positive steps that we've taken to get through that hard time. Lastly, we can create an environment of community. So much research today points to growing isolation and loneliness. For those suffering from anxiety, isolation gives the perfect soil for increasing our anxious thoughts and ruminating on our fears. As church leaders, we can support those struggling as we encourage them to find community. One way is if somebody's struggling with social anxiety, we can refer them to a small group or connect them with a prayer partner or an individual mentor. And this can be a helpful strategy to build safety in a larger community over time. The church is one of the best places for people to find community and deal with anxiety. So we should embrace that opportunity.
4: Finally, here are some practical resources that you can offer to support those suffering. Therapy and medication are at times indicated to treat anxiety. When the impact of anxiety is disruptive to healthy life, work, relationships, refer to a therapist. Having a reliable list of trusted practitioners in your area can be extremely helpful in supporting people through anxiety. Medication, we know, can be a point of contention in the church and for the Christian. And while we would say medication is not the cure for anxiety, it can decrease the severity of the symptoms Allowing a person to do the work that's needed to create those healthier responses. Next, use the pain and peace cycle. Know your own and help others from your own place of peace, but help others practice getting into their peace cycle. Anxious thoughts are automatic responses, so we need to help build new pathways in the brain for healthier responses that are built on that truth. The four steps, tool is also really helpful. But also get the pain and peace cycle out of their mind say their piece out loud, have them print it out, post it on their refrigerator, have it on their phone, all different ways that we're helping people practice their piece.
0: You know, another thing you can do is brainstorm creating an anxiety toolbox. This slide shows some helpful tools that people have used in working through anxiety in healthy ways. I wanna to highlight two, about setting boundaries with sleep and technology and grieving. Research makes undeniable connections between anxiety and both sleep and technology use. We can start supporting those struggling with anxiety by learning more and including this in your conversation. Ask questions about what is disrupting sleep and brainstorm together ways to improve sleep. You can help also to increase awareness of how we've come to rely on technology as a distraction and consider ways to remain present and engaged in the current moment. Another tool that may be one of the most important things we can do is to breathe. When we're anxious, our breathing becomes more shallow. Breathing helps arrest the body's physical response to anxiety and feeds our body with oxygen to our blood, slows down our heart rate. And while there are multiple forms of breathing, we wanted to share just one with you. This is a technique from Andrew Huberman out of Stanford. Megan's gonna demonstrate this for you as I walk it through. So please note the hand movements. These are really helpful to keep you more aware and slow you down so that you can focus on the breathing. So the first step is to stand or sit in a grounded posture. Take two deep inhales through your nose as you raise one arm to your shoulder. Hold your breath as you bring your other arm up to your shoulder. And then exhale through your mouth, allowing both arms to slowly come down. Try to count to nine as you exhale. We can all benefit from practicing breathing for even just 10 minutes a day. We hope that you have some new perspectives on anxiety and tools to support you in your work as ministers and leaders.
4: And we want to encourage you to keep learning and building your understanding not only as a tool for other people that you're helping, but also for yourself. We believe that this struggle with anxiety in the time that we're in is an opportunity to see value. And we hope you feel more equipped to join us in that work together.
3: Great, thank you. <clears throat> so can I be vulnerable with y'all for a minute? I come from a family with a long line of bipolar disorder and depression. Medication has saved us. Uh, in, my, in my particular family, um, I have my, my brother, my cousins, uh, they manage bipolar in a way that I am amazingly proud of them. They are my heroes. They exercise, they take medication, they go to talk therapy and they stay balanced and they live life. Uh, My father committed suicide because he couldn't figure out how to deal with it. So I just gotta say, please know medication is an important part of dealing with anxiety and depression, but it's not the only part. And we really believe that the tools that we're talking about are just as essential as the medication is. The second thing, <clears throat> is being really vulnerable. God cares about us. Everything about us. We forget that. Uh, I, I, I'm i leaving here today and I'm going on a trip to Austin, Texas and then I'm going on a trip to Iowa and I had to pack two suitcases. It's a complicated story but I packed my suitcase to to Texas and to uh to Iowa and I read the weather reports and I uh, packed all the right clothes and left my suitcase for my husband to bring and grabbed the suitcase to bring to Pepperdine uh, and then read the weather report <laughs> 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 on the plane on the way here. <clears throat> um, And, of course, the weather has turned out much more beautiful than they told us it was going to. So I I, I think I'm coming to Southern California with only sandals, and I'm wearing white instead of something more appropriate. Mm -hmm. And I didn't bring my – I packed my raincoat in my other bag. And Mm -hmm. I started last session telling you about Brother Roy and his true anxiety about – going back to India. I want to tell you, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, that I had a little anxiety over the clothes that I had packed (laughs) for this trip. So much so that I thought possibly, because I was just envisioning walking around Pepperdine campus with rain pouring on my head. I hadn't brought an umbrella. I didn't have a rain jacket. I even whipped into Target real quick to see if I could find a rain jacket that I might use in case it rained. And the whole time I'm driving into target, the Lord is saying, Sharon, what are you so concerned about? And I'm thinking to myself, Sharon, what are you so concerned about? But I had all the wrong clothes. So, God is so funny in so many ways. So I get out yesterday, and I I don't find a rain jacket at Target, by the way. (laughs) And In the middle of Target, I'm looking at the clothes there, and I'm thinking, what am I doing? Lord, I'm going to teach on anxiety, and here I am, taking time to drop by Target to buy a rain jacket, because I read the weather report, and I'm afraid it's going to rain. And I'm walking into dinner last night, where I'm meeting the Boone Center staff, and There's this young woman sitting there, and as typical sometimes in California, she's dressed in black from head to toe, and she has a lot of makeup on, and she, I I just, I just, this thought flashed through my mind, here I am in my white, you know, everything like that. She looks up at me and she says, really like your jacket, (laughs) which I, I was like, Lord, are you kidding, you know, (laughs) to have this this young person that i feel so like i'm out of the out of the realm so i i i laugh at the lord and i and i tell myself once again i did not need to be anxious about the weather so i get up this morning and i get dressed and i'm i'm walking over and i'm getting coffee and this man standing by me looks at me and he says I hope you don't mind me telling you that I really like your outfit. (laughs) Now, i got to tell you, I haven't had people compliment me in two days in a row on what I'm wearing in a long time. (laughs) But God cares about every hair on our head. And he was was gigging me in the ribs (laughs) as this young woman and this very kind gentleman complimented me for what I had on because I had agonized as my plane landed that I had brought the wrong clothes. We have Brother Roy who's facing possible death in his ministry for Jesus and we have Sharon concerned about not having a rain jacket and God is involved in all those things but we have to know ourselves and we have to know what we need to change and what we need to address in our anxiety. Now there are several of you in the room that raised your hand when you said, when we asked the question, are you familiar with the pain and the peace cycle? But there's, with a the large majority of the room that's not. So I'm I'm gonna take time to pull this out a little bit for those in the room that do not know this because because it is the regulating tool that you can help yourself with, with your own anxiety, and that you can help the people that you lead and serve with in their um, anxiety. So I want you to turn right now to the very last two pages that look something like this. Okay. And the goal of this exercise is to help us identify what it is that sends us into a place of pain. They talked a little bit on the video about the brain. And our brain, in our amygdala part of our brain, is a reactive part of our brain. Fight or flight, when we see a bear in the forest, it's the amygdala, it's the emotional, it's the reactive part of our brain that's gonna respond. That's the job of the brain, is to keep us safe. But sometimes our coping can be destructive instead of constructive. (coughs) So, um, as you think about your own anxiety and things that make you feel anxious, if you would take this top- box right here that says feel and look at these list of feelings and say what are the things I feel when I am anxious and pick two or three words that fit into that category okay then I want you to look over to this next box that says copes and I want you to say when I feel these feelings what is it that I do and how do I cope And there's this longer list here of coping words. So I'm going to give you about probably four minutes to identify when I get dysregulated. And this is when you feel anxious, but it's also when you feel angry. It's also when you're attacking. It's also when you try to control other people. It's also when you do anything that's disruptive in a relationship. So what is it that I feel, and what are the major things that I do? Does anybody have any questions on my, yes? I have silly question, potentially. There are no silly questions. On the Megan's pain cycle,
4: it only has one feels. What are the two different feels?
3: Oh, this I'm sorry, thank you so much. You've very, that was such a good question because you need to actually go, individuals need to go to page 19. Yeah, thank you very much for that clarification. Anybody else have a silly question um, (laughs) that would be helpful in getting me on the right page? If you'd put it in there, there's a model that we use where we can use this with married couples, but this is the individual one I want you to use on page 19. Any other questions? Okay, just take a few minutes and fill that out. What is it that you feel? And what is it that you do? Those of you that are here with your spouse, don't pick out their pain cycle, pick out your own. (laughs) Okay, so as you all when you look at that feeling box and you think about especially let's think about when you tend to be more anxious or more disrupted that way because we are talking about anxiety here just shout out to me some of the feeling words that popped in to your mind and the words you feel don't have to be on the list the list is basically just a tool to help but what are some of the things that you felt like you might feel An Inadequate. Out of, Out of control. Powerless. Powerless. Disconnected. Unwanted. Unwanted. Disconnected. Insignificant. Insignificant. Unsafe. Devalued. Devalued. Defective. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. What was it? Vulnerable? Is that what it was? Yeah. Unloved. Unloved. You know... It's hard to believe that that we feel that way, right? (laughs) When we're sitting in the group of people that are all people that are walking a walk with Christ, um, it's amazing that those feelings come up. I I lead these. uh, We're going to tell you about Relate Strong trainings, which is the foundational training for this. Group that you can have couples groups and individuals group that focus only on people learning their pain and their peace cycle I've led those groups for years and I sit in a room of people like you that are highly capable Highly competent highly intelligent highly connected people and I hear these words defective unwanted unloved Not good enough And my heart aches and in the longer version of Relate Strong, we do a little work to say, where did you first feel that feeling? Where, where's, What's the origin of that feeling? Why do you feel that way? And if you all decide to do a little deeper study and do the Relate Strong training, you'll learn how to help people understand that. But it's usually connected to their story in some way, something that has happened that's giving them a negative message about themselves. Right? Okay, so... What we've learned is the brain's reactive, so when it feels these things, it's danger, 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 danger. It's going crazy. What are some of the things that you do? We call them your tricks. What are some of the things that you do when you feel those feelings?
1: Perfectionist.
3: I become a perfectionist, and I'm going to make everything right and not only am i going to make everything right i'm going to make everybody around me do everything right
1: <laughs>
3: right woody what else shame, <laughs> myself.
1: <laughs>
3: shame myself oh gosh i'm a horrible person this is i'm awful what isolate isolate at the time we need people the most when we're not feeling good about ourselves we pull into ourselves what else escape. And that can be done in a variety of ways. We can, on the light end, we can sleep too much, we can eat too much, we watch can, gun we can watch, watch, watch gun smoke. <laughs> watch gun smoke. <laughs> that hasn't been a temptation for me, but maybe it has for you. It will be
1: when you retire. <laughs> you. It
3: gun smoke, though? I mean, I could think separate. of some other shows. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, or, you know, we can drug too much, or we can porn too much, or we can just leave, dissociate, go away. What else do y'all do? What are some of the other good tricks that you do? Get sarcastic. Get sarcastic. Oh my gosh, you mean sarcasm isn't funny? <laughs> It's not a spiritual gift. That is true, that is so true. Sarcasm can be very destructive in relationships. Thank you for pointing that out. What else? Blame Blame others. Throw a pity party. Throw a pity party. I'm going to withdraw and I'm going to feel sorry for myself and I want you to come make me feel okay. (laughs) And then when you don't come make me feel okay, then I feel worse, right? So there's all these things that we can do, and one of them is get anxious and ruminate and think and try to make everything perfect and do some of these things that Dee Dee and Megan talked about on the video. But guys, the truth is there's another way, but we have to be willing to work on it to get to that other place. And the thing that we have to be willing to do is to look at these feeling words and say, is that true? Is that true that I'm unwanted? Anybody? No. No? How do we know that? You know, the listening to the session last night and the session at 11 today, or twelve or whenever it was. I don't, know, I don't know. If we really believe God loved us. If we really believe God loved us, we would behave and be so different in so many ways. There's three sources of the truth. You heard them talk about them on the video. One is spiritual resources. One is other people that we trust in our life. But the main and the most powerful person is ourself. Is are we going to let those feelings and those truths come into our life? That we may not be wanted by this person in this moment. But the truth about us is we are wanted. We are loved. We are not alone. We are connected in community. So I just want you to take a few minutes, just a couple of minutes, and I want you to look at your feeling words, and then I want you to find a word down in that truth section that answers this negative message that you're telling yourself. And I want you to write that into the truth box, And then look at if I really believe those things are true. Instead of doing this destructive coping, what are the things that I could do? What actions could I do that would be better than the destructive coping that I'm doing? So just take a couple of minutes, find the truth words, the truth words, and your action words. Are there any questions? So. Megan kind of walked through how she used this pain cycle and this peace cycle to calm her anxiety in her um, taking her test, right? What we, what we can learn to do, and and I do again, I want to say if if we were to b- bring these programs to your church, if y'all to bring this program to your church, we would encourage that at least one person in your church had been trained in the Relate Strong. Uh, program so that they know their own pain and peace cycle so they can help other people uh, lead in that but I want to tell you and there's there's people in this room that have told me this once you know this model you can share it with somebody on a napkin at Starbucks (laughs) you can pull it out you know with some of the good questions that Didi and Megan were talking about so tell me more about how that makes you feel And what do you do when you feel those things? Make somebody feel incredibly heard. And you can give them this tool to take off scripturally with the pain cycle. We're taking off the old self and we're putting on the new. And in there, there's the four steps that we encourage people to walk through. But if you're a church leader and you're leading people with their own anxiety, what are you feeling? What do you normally do? What's the truth? What can you do differently? And this is a tool that therapists can go deep with in most of your communities. There's probably some trained restoration therapists that can help people go deeper. But i got to tell you, it is a helpful tool where someone just doesn't walk away from time with you going, okay, well, they're going to pray for me which is great, right? (laughs) But people want to know, what can I do with my anxiety? And this is the kind of thing that we can say, help them understand their pain cycle, help them understand their peace cycle, so they can do like Megan did, and walk from a place of pain, Ephesians 4, taking off the old self, into a place of peace, Ephesians 4, putting on the new self, and feel a sense of peace. It is amazing when you name the primary feeling that's really getting you and what you do, that you can actually create change. You know, there's been a message in our, in our society for years that people don't change. You can't change people. You're not going to change people. You know what neuroscience is telling us now? People can change. Do you know what scripture's been telling us for thousands of years? People can change when they grasp onto the truth of who they are in Christ. So in the group discussion on page 14, the first thing that you would want to do is do what I just did and kind of help people understand their pain and their peace cycle. and I want to clarify because I had uh, somebody, this gentleman here whose name is is uh, Mike, asked me the question. He said he deals with a lot of uh, addicts in recovery that just don't feel like they have any issues of trust. And this whole issue of what we're talking about with the pain and the peace cycle that Megan talked about, these issues of safety Those are issues of trust. Mm -hmm. So you can help people begin to walk through that. And some of these concepts that we are not alone, uh, that we can get through difficult things, that we can empower ourselves to do something about our situation can help people who are struggling with a sense of safety. Um, So I guess a a group question here, would it be for you all, and think about asking this question in your own community, what kind of things based on this material, based on what we've talked about in these videos today, could your community do that would help create a safer place for people with anxiety? Any ideas? Yeah.
4: I mean, um, just talking about it in general prayer as an issue and having people, you know, give some of testimony in your community. Instead of just it out of the conversation.
3: Yeah, bring it out in the open. Let's let's bring it out so we can deal with it and talk about it. Yeah. What are some other ideas? Yeah.
5: I think sometimes listening without feeling like you have to have an answer for everything. Oh,
3: isn't that a great idea?
5: Uh, Sharon, yeah. Uh, I was thinking about shared language, like mm-hmm. that. As we do a little bit of this education, we're not. Prescribing fixes yet we're just giving everybody a shared language to start talking about anxiety the same way. Um.
3: Yeah, I love that Lars. Our, our church when we lived here in California they did this. They did the restoration therapy groups and I mean the relate strong groups and people would be having casual conversation about something, Well, that really threw me into my pain cycle, mm-hmm.
2: you know. And we
3: knew what people were talking about. Yeah
2: in churches, if we could actually identify some people that we felt like had skills
0: and, and gave people a list because they might feel better if they felt like, instead of just walking up to somebody and saying that, but maybe at least we could start with,
7: they you know, they might not choose to use that, but at least you give them some options. Like, well, I could go talk, but you know, this is who is suggested. I can talk to her or him.
3: I love that idea to actually say Here's some people in our church that have dealt with or know something about anxiety. Here's five names and their telephone numbers. Call them specifically. I like that idea because a lot of times we encourage people to talk to somebody without any specific instructions. So I think that'd be really, really a great idea. Anything else?
5: I think another good thing for us to think about is having those resources for people that isn't always us all the time yeah as a, as a minister I think we get trapped into feeling like we have to like, come up with something all the time but to have that toolbox and we'll hear some people that we know will, will help you mm-hmm. it our own anxiety one but then two like that person will know that we care about them enough to find them help versus you know just kind of
3: yeah if I were a pastor I wouldn't lead this group <laughs> I'd ask somebody in my church that has a passion and care for people who have anxiety to lead it because then they become the person that people you know, talk to. Um, what are some unhelpful comments you think you've heard from people as they talk about anxiety in the church?
7: Just pray more.
3: Just pray more? Medication's a crutch. Medication, oh, medication's a crutch, yeah. What else? Relax. Relax. It'll pass okay, I gotta relax okay if I'll just relax then I won't feel anxious anymore what do I need to do to relax I feel like I should be relaxing but I can't relax because because my body's so tight I don't know what to do I gotta I, I just need to relax more <laughs> anything else yeah,
6: am I spiritual
3: enough? what
6: not spiritual enough. You're
3: not spiritual enough you just need to trust God more yeah what are you
5: spiritualizing yeah. Very similar to what's being said, that if you, uh, if you just know, and if you can just have people pray over you, that it's a completely spiritual thing, or I think it's more than just a spiritual thing. Yeah. It's connected to the other parts of our making.
3: Yeah, it's connected to our pain. So I'm going to turn this over to Dee Dee in a minute, but before I do, what I want, I want everybody in the room to do this with me. Just cross your hands up and tighten up your body as much as you can tighten it up, tighten your arms, tighten your fists, tighten your stomach muscles,
0: your legs. Okay. Does that feel good? (laughs)
1: <laughs>
3: okay, try this one, and breathe. <sighs> Do you ever notice that sometimes when you're anxious or you're worried, Do you stop and you think about your body and you realize that you're not breathing? (laughs) Be aware. Be aware of what goes on in us. So thank y'all.
0: Thank you, Sharon. So I'm just standing over here just listening um, to just the authentic response. So thanks for... Bring in vulnerability and honesty in and I just want you em- em- empathetically to be thinking about how it might feel to be a person struggling with anxiety and what happens inside of you as your body's all tight, your mind is ruminating, you're worried about what somebody's thinking and some of these responses start to happen. Like the, Just trust Jesus a little more. Relax. Okay, I'm a therapist, and I have a daughter who struggles with anxiety. Let's get vulnerable. Like, None of us are protected. We live in a world where things happen that unsettle us, where we don't always feel safe, or we're not always secure in our sense of identity. I love the the, um, theme for this week, God loves forever, right? And I love the quote, love interrupts us. And I think as we look at what the pain and the peace cycle does, it helps provide a healthy interruption. Because love interrupts enough for me to say, hold up. My body's real tight right now. So I'm going to breathe. Because I'm realizing I'm not breathing. And even just, like I said, practicing 10 minutes a day. I will tell you, like, one of my favorite things about working with Sharon Hargrave is the vulnerability that you see in the front of the conversation. Because both of us practice this breathing and talk about how you're feeling going into that. There is a realness that we can bring to the body of Christ as we begin to acknowledge Gosh, the lie that has taken hold of my heart that I hide from everyone else is that I'm actually not worthy of love, and if you knew me well enough, you would know that's true so that instead, I'm going to be real perfectionistic, where I'm not safe in the world, and maybe life has shown me I'm not so safe sometimes, but I don't, in God's kingdom, he's given me a sense of security where I can thrive in the midst of brokenness, right? And so I want to hear, as you guys started, I asked you to draw a line of what anxiety looked like for you or felt like for you. And I want you just sit for a second and what thing meant something to you? What do you need to take out of this space today? That connects you to something that will be helpful personally to you. So, what might you have learned? Is there a, te- a breathing? Was breathing something you want to take? Were some of those stories in scripture? Yeah. Um, I mean, let's. I Puna. I control it. But anxiety does not have to control me. I don't have to catastrophize everything.
2: I can say oh, you're fine. Yeah. You know, and Christian music for me is just, that's my place, you know. And so I flipped that up. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I just realized anxiety can't control me. I can
0: control it. So that I have some power. I have some power to take this thought back, right? Wow, that's amazing. What else? As you guys are thinking and writing down, throw out some ideas that were resonating with you. Uh, To
5: articulate the experience better. language of the pain and peace cycle. Yeah. Um, I, it, it, to articulate my experience
2: is to change it. And articulate yeah. it this way. Yeah,
0: I love that idea. We can't change what we keep hidden, what we're unwilling to name, right? It, it actually traps and imprisons us, Right? And so when I can bring something to the surface, it's in the light that God begins this process of healing, even in our own selves, right? And so being able to name and understand the pain that drives how I am and how I behave. And in our pain cycles, we get into that story. Where did I learn that pain? Like it came from somewhere, right? What else? I think
4: this is the first time I've heard a practical way to
0: yeah: Yeah, Terry and Sharon that a million times, but Yeah,
4: never
0: had a tool. Behind it. Yeah, Terry and Sharon talk all the time about how this is a discipleship model. This is really the putting into practice what do I do to put on a new self and live in the transformed, renewed mind. That that's what this is all about. that this is about a discipleship model to teach us what does it look like to thrive in the midst of the world that we live in as transformed creations, renewed by the power uh, of God through our minds, as we renew our minds, right? I'll become
2: very vulnerable. Um, This is my first solo trip to a new conference Hmm. that my husband and I shared. Hmm. And I have transitioned through anxiety of being a burden to my very closest community. And I carried that onto the airplane. Hmm. And it ate at me for about eight hours. And when I could get out in words, I feel like I am a burden. My nearest community came and affirmed that's not who they know me to be yeah it's and
0: really in powerful in
2: this lesson i think what i'm hearing is that sometimes anxiety can surface out of grief yeah or out of an instantaneous selfless worth. Yeah. yeah and in turn by having the community that you can regurgitate
0: yeah.
2: the hurt and the sense of being a burden. Yeah. God can affirm through them, that's not who we know you to be. You yeah. are, is it who God knows
0: you. Absolutely, what a, thank you so much for sharing. That's, inc- it's powerful and it is an example of how God uses other people and his truth, and your ability to step in and say, hey, what a beautiful picture of the safe community of the body of Christ to walk through some of the real difficulties that we experience. The overwhelming coming, imagine coming to a conference for the first time by yourself that you shared. And how overwhelming. Thank you for coming and showing that courage even, beautiful.
2: I do I remember God pray yeah. for me that it's time from the grief to start saying yes. Praise say Jesus.
0: The next step. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes. yes, absolutely. What is your name? Can I pray? Jean. 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 So, will you all pray with me? Can we put a hand out, please, to just pray? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jean. And we thank you that as we pray to a God, we pray to a God who's not a stranger to grief he knows grief and uh, because you do father god you know comfort and you know the depths of our souls and how to bring comfort to our souls and so thank you for how you have made jean and who you have made her to be and the purpose you have placed on her life for this time in this moment in this space and father god i pray that she will believe your truth um and that she will keep saying yes and stepping in. Thank you for the ways that you are speaking to her heart, for the closeness of friends around her that are safe. And Father God, I ask that by the power of your spirit, you will continue to grow and shape her, uh, that she will enjoy every day that she has breath with you and with the community you've surrounded her with. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. 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 so when you experience this material, what resonates? What stands out to you as powerful and a takeaway? Yeah. Oh, I am so sorry. That was
4: such a good one to end on. It's no, time. no, we're going. We're going. Please. Um, I was just going to piggyback off of the being able to transform into a new self. And as a person with anxiety that went through really strong as a couple, with my husband, and then now we have little kids, that we have a shared language around my anxiety, and that it's not disappeared, but we have a shared language to talk about it when I'm feeling overwhelmed, and we get to model for our kids. Like, it's okay to have overwhelming feelings or things that go on, but there's ways to deal with it and have communication and relationship around it, and kind of be able to model that for them while they're little, it's really
0: cool. And the power of that, and I love that you're saying that. I was telling some friends earlier that, um, you know, sometimes unwittingly in the church we give this impression that when we walk in we got to have it together anybody feel that way sometimes (laughs) that there's really no place for us to bring our problems or our pain that if you know jesus i'm going to be happy all the time my life's going to look good my marriage is good we're not going to talk about the fight my husband and i were in on the way to church on sunday we're going to get out of the car We're gonna walk happy. I'm gonna walk right next to him, not 10 feet behind him because I don't want to be near him, (laughs) right? (laughs) But what you're talking about is what we lose. I used to take these kids to a discipleship camp. These were high school kids. They were our strongest leaders on campus. And uh, we really invested this in a let's transform ourselves and let's have a safe place to be leaders together. Being a leader in ministry is lonely and isolating. It's hard to find a place to belong when everybody has an expectation on you before you walked in the room of how you're supposed to behave. And you watch your kids endure that same pain everywhere they go because they carry that expectation of you onto them, right? We get about three days in and no, no joke, the newbies start to fall, one by one, crying. I had no idea I was allowed to feel pain. I had no idea I was allowed to be anxious. I had no idea. And over the week we got to talk about honest struggles and open up and pray for one another and build the community of Christ as I believe he intended it to be in that early church. A messy motley crew of people who could be transparent and transformed right? Where the church was a place where we didn't hide our pain, but we stepped into the pains that are breaking the world around us and are able to walk in the newness of life. And that I think the world's desperate for right now. I actually feel such an invigorated sense of hope for the gospel in today's world um, around that. And uh, we wanted you to taste a little bit of this program Um, and what we have to offer. And we want to open this up for the last few minutes to questions. But I'll share with you a couple of the resources that we have available for you guys. Um, Did you enjoy this? Was this something that you felt like? Yeah. Our heart, Sharon's heart, Sharon's vision, um, and my vision is that we provide something that tangibly supports our churches in addressing the things that are destroying our culture around us. By having conversations that the church has gone silent about because we live in a polarized culture where we're afraid of conversations and where they can land us. And so we figured, let us do the dirty work. Um, So we're talking about some light topics like porn and anxiety, and addiction, and healthy physical intimacy in marriage. Who wishes somebody would have taught us a little bit about what God has for us in sex? Anyone else in the room think? It would have been great to know what is even that supposed to look like. I wish a pastor had talked to me about that, right? I didn't need to learn that all by myself. I didn't do a good job. And connecting with adolescents. right? We also have self-care for leaders. All of these are built off... We've done it this way so that we could get really sound experts that are talking about issues in a way that give you the best in the field, but all connect to this pain in the peace cycle. The power of the pain and the peace cycle to understand what these things do to us in a framework that is understandable and not scary. I can grasp it. Right? And so we offer these to you. Um, we also... ministers have three different minister marriage events you can speak really a lot to this but these are uh, two and a half day experiences midweek for pastors if you're a pastor and you want to just reset and learn some of this material for your marriage um, really set some a strong partnership and understanding in your relationship then please find out more about these. They're all on our events website at the Boone Center for the Family. I'd love for you to say a couple words on that. Um, Sharon will be here leading us. uh,
3: Didi and I are going to lead these together in the fall. It's four couples. It's it's, uh, two days, I think. And it's just you learn your pain and your peace cycle. You learn about personality differences and spiritual gifts, and we talk about conflict and conflict resolution. And it's just magical and you get to stay on Pepperdine's campus at the villa it's beautiful and we feed you great food and then send you out at night to spend on the beaches
0: with your spouse so and because we got um we have somebody that has funded the majority of this so that two nights in the villa and uh all the therapy and two meals a day for those two days 350 dollars so it's three hundred and fifty dollars. The rest has been donated. You just go ahead and test that back. Yeah, sign up. It's there are three there are three different events that we'll have and they host their, there's four couples. Um, and then you can also bring Relate Strong Training to your church. Um Train people to go through small groups. This is a powerful life group model where you let you train your group of leaders and then you have your life group leaders engage. This we have a videos that go along with it, so the teaching um, we've made it easy uh, for you. If you want more information, we have bookmarks up at the front with a QR code that attaches right to all our events on the calendar, um, and we're happy to answer any questions you guys might have uh, about the materials or anything that you've seen today.
3: Yeah, one more thing I wanna say about these. These videos are all done by different people that are experts in the area that they're done. You can buy the whole set for $200. $200, $200. $200, or you can buy uh, the individual topics for $22 a piece on the Boone Center for the family website. The
0: videos are 50 the workbooks. Oh, you can buy sorry. them digitally for like $6. These are $10. They're pretty. We've tried. These are not to make money for the Boone Center. <laughs> these are to get our costs going so that we can keep providing materials and make sure that we get these usable to you. It's a PDF. Yeah.
5: I just want to say thank you. So I'm an LPC and a a minister. Um, I was never going to be a minister. Yeah. And, like, I was really working hard to not be in ministry.
0: I stopped saying no to God. Yeah. I
5: stopped. Just See how that works out for you.
0: Yeah.
5: But being an LPC and a minister and you guys making it your lay leaders, can bridge this gap, this divide, because in, in my hometown or where where I've worked, live now Montgomery, Alabama, Christian counselors are like eight to twelve weeks out mm-hmm. for people. It's just the need versus the demand. Uh, it's just it's, it doesn't it's not even close. And uh, so having a daughter who sees uh, mm-hmm. a, a female Christian therapist, I'm so thankful for. Yeah. Having a friend right now that his daughter is waiting he yeah. still has four or five more weeks, and they're about five weeks into waiting. And, yeah. uh, so this is, thank you. Thank oh. you very much. <laughs>
3: thank, thank you. We had a question over here. Do you still have a question? Uh,
7: it wasn't so much a question, oh. because it happened to me in 1987, my ex-husband was diagnosed with uh, bipolar disease, oh. and um, it was pretty tough for me with three small children and being there, then all of a sudden the, um, the money maker yeah. for the family. But um, what was very surprising for me is that in this country we are very quick to say, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> and I think that is one of society's worst things one, we don't have take the time to listen. Yeah. And mm-hmm. two, we're afraid to say something. Mm-hmm. So when I said, I'm not doing really well, I'm really having a hard time, this person just and backwards, uh, what? And so I told her. But um, it was for me, from then on, something that where I was able to feel Good enough to share this with other people too. Yeah. What had happened to me, and and what was happening to my husband, and and also for our family. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I hope there's some way that people can come up with something that will say, um, write down your thoughts <laughs> or things that, that are really troubling. If, you, if people don't want to express them um, out loud, or want them want these things to be prayed about, but um, that people are able to uh, feel there is some help as I mean just as a little gateway to to mm-hmm. more help, Like, yeah. but just yeah. to encourage from just to say I'm fine, but you no know, I'm having some a real problem with this uh, uh issue that is coming up i don't know how to handle it or,
3: or what right and i think a large part of what we're trying to do with this program with all these topics and is normalize pain
1: yeah. if
3: we can normalize pain and i'll talk about our own pain then it becomes more normal so i really appreciate that mm-hmm. and i just encourage as church leaders when you ask, how are you doing, you might pause and say, no, how are you
0: really doing? Really?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you have the time and, and you really yeah. want to know how they're doing, you might work to ask the question in a different way, yeah. Uh,
5: so I don't struggle with anxiety, but I am the spouse of one yeah. who does. And uh, I, for the first, we've been married for 13 years now, and for the first decade or so, when I would hear things like, I don't feel like I'm worthy of love, Yeah. I would say, but you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you are by me, you are by God, you are by your parents, your friends. It's hard for me to understand why you would even have those thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Uh, but recently, we, we have a four-year-old son now, and I say, I, I don't speak to that anymore because I got frustrated because it, it seemed not to land. Right. Like, it, mm-hmm. it meant very little, seemingly, yeah, uh, I'm sure it did, but yeah. it didn't affect her current state. Right. So instead, I say, "What would you do? What would you say if Malachi told you that?" Yeah. Uh, and it 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 kind of cuts through yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a few layers of of self work. Mm-hmm. And what I really wanted to know is if that's why
1: or if there's a problem this. about
5: that that I'm not seeing. It's very
3: wise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because the interesting thing, and we talk about this in Relate Strong in the longer training, why would I be willing to say something to my four-year-old son that I'm not willing to say to myself? And helping people understand, we'll say all those nice things to everybody around us, but we won't say it to yourself. Mm-hmm. But to your main point is, and we have to grasp this, everybody has to grasp this, People can only acknowledge their own truth. You can't acknowledge mm-hmm. truth for somebody else. And that is a large part of what we do in this program is help people understand their own pain and their own truth.
0: And it is why you are the most important part of the equation. We learn truth from the Lord, and we learn truth from people we love around us. But if I'm not willing to accept it, I can carry a water bottle around all day long, but I'm still dehydrated if I haven't taken a sip, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we do that a lot. And so, you know, you're, you're providing water, but it's your wife that has to drink. And so we can't choose truth. So we have to do that for ourselves. Nobody can do it for us.
3: I think yeah. we're out of time. Oh, okay.
0: Yes. But
1: we will be here. We and, will be, uh, here. be here. Thank
0: you so much for
1: taking yes, this. Yes.